please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. When you've found your place, please stand for the reading of God's word and remain standing for a time of prayer following. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, even it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We're from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. I thank you, Lord, for giving us another day today, Lord. I thank you for our fathers and what they mean to us, Lord. And I pray for anyone who might have lost their father on Father's Day, Lord. I pray that they still have a great day, Lord. I pray that Ben reaches many people today, Lord. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So happy Father's Day, all of you dads. And just like we did on Mother's Day, I also want to make this about men in general. Because there's some men out there who maybe you've not been able to have children or maybe you chose not to have children. But regardless, God is still uses you just as much as he can a father. And I want you to know that you still have an influence in the next generation. So I want this to be for both fathers and men. But also, I just want to extend uh, the fact that I know that some of you find this day very hard, that some of you have lost your fathers, um, they've passed away. And sometimes Father's Day can be a very sad day for you, but we know that we have hope in Jesus Christ. And even if our earthly fathers are gone, or maybe you're someone who your earthly father was not a part of your life, there's a Father in heaven who loves you, who cares for you, and who is always with you. The Bible teaches us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, and nothing means nothing. So today, regardless of what your circumstances is, know that you have a heavenly Father who loves you. So my sermon today is going to be to our fathers and to our men. And the question that we're going to ask is, where are the gatekeepers? Because men, fathers, we have been called to be gatekeepers. Gatekeepers of the church, gatekeepers of our home, and gatekeepers of our society. So we're continuing our series in 1 John called What is Real? And the wonderful thing about the book of 1 John, as the Apostle John wrote this letter to first century Christians, is that the first century Christians were trying to dig through what was fake and what was true. There were a lot of different things coming at them. They did not have the luxury of 2,000 years of church tradition like we do. They did not have the luxury of 2,000 years of scholarship among theologians like we do. So they were trying to struggle through some of the theological truths found in Scripture. And there were a lot of false teachers and false doctrines coming their way. So John was trying to help them determine and, dis and, and cipher through which were truth and which were false. So the question still remains today as we go through this series, what is real? And in trying to find out what is real, we understand that we've got to have those gatekeepers. So in ancient times, the job of a gatekeeper was profoundly important to every city and to every society. Today, we may not see that as often because we live in a very free nation and a very secure nation. 
But back in ancient times, it was not the case. A lot of times, each city was really tasked with the responsibility of keeping its own people safe. So a lot of times those ancient cities would have walls built around them, and there would really only be one or two ways to get into the city, and it would be through the gate. Now, the gate was very important for many different reasons, not only for defense purposes, but also a lot of times the gate of the city is where the elders of the city would do business. If someone was going to buy property, they would do a lot of their business at the gate of the city. So the gate was important, but there was always someone who was tasked with watching the gate. They were called the gatekeepers. So today as we think through that, we understand that the gatekeepers in ancient times were responsible for monitoring who came into the city and who left the city. They were also responsible for watching out beyond the city to make sure there were no enemies approaching because they would have really been probably the first contact to be able to alert the military and those who were to defend the city of oncoming threats. So that was their responsibility. Now listen, if the gatekeeper were to fall asleep on the job, he might have fallen asleep during the very time when the enemy was approaching the city. And by the time he woke up, it very well could have been too late. So gatekeepers had to be alert. They had to understand the importance of their job, and they had to make sure that they did their job to the best of their ability. They were there to eradicate the threats that were possibly coming against the city. Now, fathers, men, God has called you to be gatekeepers. God has called you to be that first line of defense for your family, for your church, and for your community. You have got to be alert today. Now, I want to honor fathers because, listen, your position that God has called you to in the family and in the church, the role that God has given you is a beautiful role. It is an entrusting of God into your hands, the very safety both physically and spiritually of your family and those who are least able to defend themselves. You know, one thing that marks a godly person is someone who cares for those who cannot defend themselves. Someone who cares for them that are weak, those who are struggling, those who are unable and not able to fight for themselves. And that is what God has called both fathers and men to do. You know, one thing I just want to make this as relational as possible for you today, common everyday life, is a child gate. How many of you have had to use a child gate in your homes at some point in your life? We have too. We have a home, and it's one of those uh, 80s model split foyer type designs, so there's stairs everywhere, right? So we've got these young children, and children like to go where the danger is. They like to go where the stairs are. They like to go to the very place where they're going to get hurt. So what Hannah and I had to do was we had to install a child gate for each one of our children when they had first learned to walk all the way up until about three years old because they were going to fall down the stairs. Now, the interesting thing about a gate is, is it does no good. A child gate does absolutely no good if it isn't shut and if it isn't locked. So what we trained Charlotte and Henry to do even after our younger ones were born was you've got to shut the gate behind you because Sam is very keen, and what he would do is, is he would sit back and he would watch when somebody would come in and out of the gate. And he would know if you didn't shut it. And if you didn't shut it, you can bet he crawled toward that gate as hard and as fast as he could because he knew he only had a small time to get through that thing. So they had to be shut. It had to be taken care of. There had to be gatekeepers. And Charlotte and Henry actually became very, very good gatekeepers. But it's not going to do any good unless someone is watching it and monitoring it. 
It's the same way with our families, men. It's the same way with our society and the same way with our church. If we're not watching the gate and if we're not monitoring what's coming in, what's going out, and we're not protecting those inside that have been entrusted under our responsibility, then we are letting them down. So today, I don't want this to be, let's beat up men day. I don't want this to be, I don't want you to leave here feeling worse than you got here. I want you to be encouraged because I want you to know that God has called you to such a beautiful calling that you have an honorable task to protect your family and to be that gatekeeper. So as we go through this passage in 1 John, I want us to see two commands from Scripture for the leaders of our families. Two commands. The first one is this. The Scripture says to test the spirits. Test the spirits. We find that beginning in verse 1, if you guys will read there. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now it is already in the world. And then you drop down to verse 6. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. So you probably have heard this term before, especially if you like football, but the 49ers. Well, if any of y'all have done uh, your study on history, you know that in the 1800s, there was a gold rush in the state of California. And many, many people from our country migrated to the state of California because they were told that they could hit it big, that they could go and they could mine for gold and they could become instant millionaires. It sounds a lot like the Powerball lottery today. It's always been embedded in people's hearts. They want instant wealth and instant riches. So you had this massive migration from the eastern seaboard all the way to California because they wanted to strike it rich. Men, women, and their families all made that treacherous journey back in the 1800s. But the problem was when they got there, many of them were very disappointed when they found that there were a lot of sparkling gold specks in these rivers in California, but the problem was that they were fool's gold. It wasn't the real deal. So maybe they saw this river and they began to see all these sparkling specks and they think, man, I've hit it big. I'm a multimillionaire right now. They get that stuff out. They take it to someone who knows what they're doing and they say, you know, I'm sorry, that's not even real gold. That is worthless. That is fool's gold. So knowing this, and this becoming a big problem among the gold miners, they started to develop these tests so that they could see and determine what was real gold from the fake gold. The men were able to look at it and tell many of them who had been around it a long time, but a lot of these newer gold miners did not have the eye for it. So what they would do is, is they would actually take the gold nuggets out of the river, and the pure gold was actually softer than the human tooth. So what they would do is they'd take it and they would bite it. And if they were able to leave an imprint in the gold nugget, it was real gold. If they were not, then it was fool's gold. Fool's gold was actually stronger and harder than the human tooth. So as they were biting it, they began to figure out and they began to utilize this test to find out the real from the fake. 
They could also take a piece of the gold and they could take it on maybe like a a white piece of porcelain and they could drag it across the porcelain. And if the gold left a, a more of a yellowish streak behind, you knew that it was real. But if it left like a black green type mark, you knew that it was fool's gold. So they began to develop these because of the issue of the fakes. Because fakes were a reality. Because the fool's gold was there. And there was something they had to do in order to determine the good from the bad. So why do we need a test? Okay, As, as John is talking here in 1 John, he's saying test the spirits. He's saying, listen, you need to know who's for real and who's fake. Well, we need those tests for the same reasons that the 49ers needed those. We needed, need to determine even today who is of the Lord and who is not of the Lord. Now, many people might say, you know, Ben, that is judgmental. You know, for us to have these tests out there to try to determine who knows Christ and who does not know Christ. You know, that's kind of judgmental because you can't really see someone's heart. Well, the fact is, is that we are not judging anyone. When we implement the tests found in Scripture, Scripture is judging people, not us. And let me tell you this. God is infinite in his wisdom. This is God's word. This is breathed by the Holy Spirit. This Bible that you hold in your lap are the very words of God. And the words of God are qualified to judge the hearts of mankind. And today, we can use the tests found in Scripture to do just that. We are not judging The word of God is judging. We are communicating the truths of God's word so that sinners can be saved and so that our people, our church, and our families can be protected from the false doctrine that exists in our world. Verse 1 says this. He really gives the ultimate reason in Scripture why these tests were needed. If you go back to verse 1, it says, Because... So he says, test the spirits to see if they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He was saying it is inevitable that these false prophets are going to come into your churches, they're going to come into your communities, and they're going to come and influence your families. He said it's going to happen, so you've got to be able to test to find out who's for real and who's not. It would be like if someone came into our church and they said, you know what, I need to teach Sunday school. And we start letting them teach Sunday school. And we find out that once they start teaching, they're teaching false doctrine. Maybe they're teaching that Jesus isn't really God. Or maybe they're teaching that baptism actually saves people. Or maybe they're teaching these things that are confusing our people. That's why we don't let someone who is brand new to the church teach immediately. Because there has to be a time period where we get to know them. And we, they're proven, their, their, their love for Christ and the reality of their salvation is proven to us in their day-to-day lives. Their faithfulness to our church has to be proven. And then they can teach. They have to adhere to our statement of faith. We have an individual statement of faith that is unique to Pole Creek Baptist Church. Yes, we're a Southern Baptist church. And yes, the Southern Baptists have their own statement of faith, which we do adhere to their current uh, statement of faith. But our local church-written statement of faith reigns above any outside statement of faith. Pole Creek believes specific doctrines as to who God is, as to who Jesus Christ is, as to who the Holy Spirit is, as to how we are saved, as to the end of times and prophecy. We all have, we have our own statement of faith, and that's why. We must stand on something. We must have a set of truths that we stand on that are foundational so that then we can then divide the truth 
from the false. That's why our number one core value as a church is scripture. It is our foundation. Anything that is against or antithetical to scripture, we reject it. Outright reject it. That's why we reject the critical race theory, for any of you who know that, because critical race theory in and of itself is racism. It is separating out races, dividing by the racial lines. And let me be clear, races are not biblical. The Bible never talks about white people and black people and Asian people. No, the Bible speaks in terms of the heart, in terms of faith. Even in the Old Testament, the Israelites were commanded not to intermarry with other people, not because of their racial differences, but because of their spiritual differences. Because the people of other nations worshipped idols. They sacrificed their own children. They, they denied the God of the Bible, the Hebrew God. So that's why God commanded those things. But listen, we all came from the same parents. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what facial features you have. Races biblically don't even exist. So anything that embraces racial ideas of any kind are anti-biblical, and that includes the critical race theory that many are, are seeing come into our schools, which parents, you've got to be vigilant against that mess. Your children do not need to apologize for being white. Your children do not need to apologize for being black. God made them in his infinite wisdom. He knit them together in his mother's womb, and he made them beautiful as they are. And we need to embrace all people regardless of their skin pigmentation. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's remember that. Biblically speaking, that is our foundation, and that's how we're going to test the spirits. So the test is actually given here in 1 John. The Bible is so cool in that it not only tells us truth, but it gives us the details of how to pursue the truth and how to communicate the truth. So in verse 2 of 1 John chapter 4, we find this, the test itself, the test that we are asked to implement. Here is the test. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit, when it says spirit, it's talking about people. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. It's very, very clear, very easy. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now it is already in the world. So here we understand that that test is very simple. Those who confess... That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And I want you to understand the background story to this. These people understood Jesus to be God. Okay? That doesn't have to be said here to understand that when you go back to the book of John, John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Go down to verse 14. Who is the Word? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we know that these people understood Jesus Christ to be God. So what the, the test was this. The test was, do you believe that God has come in the flesh? Do you believe that that man who walked 33 years on earth, that man from Nazareth named Jesus, was God? That was the test. That was it. Those who would say, yes, Jesus Christ is God and he came in the flesh as a sacrifice to die for the sins of the world and be risen from the dead, they were true Christians. 
They were of the spirit of truth. But then you would have some who would kind of wander into the church. And here in the first century, they were fighting a heresy called Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism was, was it's a very spiritualistic idea of, of eternity and of heaven and of, of kind of where the end uh, result of, would be for every person, right? Where we would end up one day. And what Gnosticism said was, was that everything physical was evil, all matter was evil. So if you could touch it and you could experience it with your senses, then it was evil. But if it was spiritual, then it was good. So Gnostics would say, no, God could not have come in the flesh because then he would have been evil and we could not have an evil God. And that was what was infiltrating the church. Now, now listen to this. We have modern day Gnosticism in our world. We have spiritualism which reigns very, very prominent in downtown Asheville in those circles of Eastern religions. That's why you see Buddhism is, is so prevalent because the idea is that what you see is not actually real, that it's actually all just an evil illusion that your mind has created. And they embrace these types of things, which in turn, if we try to pull some of those ideas into Christianity, we begin to believe what the Gnostics taught, whereas the body of Christ would have been evil. We don't believe that as Christians, by the way. The Bible teaches us that God created Adam and Eve in the garden. Guess what? Adam and Eve had a physical body. And guess what? He saw that it was good. He saw that that body that he created from the dust, and as he created the woman from the rib of Adam, he said these were good. So no, the physical body is not evil. Okay, And I want you to realize that your body is a blessing and a gift from God. That's why the Bible teaches us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times in church life we say you've got to fight against the flesh, right? Well, what we're saying is we're not saying that you've got to fight between against this skin and these bones and this blood. What we really mean is, is you're fighting against the sinful nature that resides in your heart, Okay, so the reason we know that is because man's body was good when God created in the Garden of Eden. And what caused man to fall was not his body, but it was the inerrant love for sin and the desire for man to be his own God that made us evil. And we have to understand that, that Jesus Christ is God. He came in the flesh. He never sinned. He was perfect. He died on the cross in our place to pay the price for our sins. And he's so powerful that he was able to raise himself from the dead on the third day and achieve victory for us over death, hell, and the grave. That is the truth, and that was the test. So then what they said was, listen, if you're not willing to admit that Jesus Christ is God and that he came in the flesh and he intersected mankind, then you are of the Antichrist. Now, when we think through that term Antichrist, we've seen it a few other times here in 1 John as we've gone through this book, but we understand that a lot of times when that's mentioned in the book of 1 John, it's not talking about the man, the Antichrist, that we know will come on the scene in the end times. This is the spirit of Antichrist. What that is, is it's the world system and it's the sinful nature of mankind reigning supreme in our world. It's that, it's that spirit of I'm against Christ, I reject Christ that we see in our government, that we see in um, corporations like Facebook and, and Google and Amazon. It's that spirit of Antichrist that we see in our university systems. It's that spirit of Antichrist that we see in our news media. That is what this is talking about. It's the ideology of our world systems. 
okay? So what he's saying is, is if someone comes into our fellowship and they reject that Jesus is God and that God took on flesh, then they are of the world. They can come to our worship services, but they cannot teach their wicked ideologies. We will have to shut that down immediately. That's what I've always said. If someone who lives, who's living a lifestyle of homosexuality someone who's perhaps transgender, someone who embraces those, those lifestyles, they are welcome at Pole Creek Baptist Church. But they will not be allowed to join our church or to serve in any leadership position or teach until they have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus. Once they've repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus, they're white as snow. And we're going to welcome them into our family. That goes for the drunkard. That goes for the prostitute. That goes for the adulterer, all the above. Once they've repented of their sins, the blood of Christ will wash away their sins, and they become a brother and sister in Christ. But they're welcome to hear and come and listen to the gospel preached. So we understand that. And then in verse 6, there's a secondary test. So you have the first test in verses 2 through 3, which is the question of Jesus' deity. Is Jesus God, and did he come in the flesh? And then a test that kind of stems off of that is found in verse 6. So verse 6 says this, We are from God. And I can say that to my brothers and sisters in Christ today. We are from God. We are children of God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Now, if someone comes in this morning and they hear me preaching that Jesus is God and that he took on flesh and they say, nope, that's wrong, that's false, that person is immediately not of us. They're not listening to sound teaching and biblical teaching. That is another test. He says, anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit, capital S, of truth and the spirit of deception. That capital S there uh, talks about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. Now, we understand that God the Father is fully God. We understand that Jesus Christ is fully God, but we also understand the Holy Spirit is fully God. They are all three God. We, we, we believe in a God who is one God who exists in three persons, and that is a biblical truth. So we have that test. Do you believe that Jesus Christ took on flesh and that he intersected mankind and that he is God? If you do, then you're one of us. If you don't, you're not, and you need to be saved. That secondary test is, do you listen to sound biblical teaching? If you listen to it, you're one of us. If you don't, you're not. It's that simple. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing that we need to see that we are commanded to do from 1 John chapter 4. Number one, test the spirits. But then the second command is this. We are not only to test the spirits, but we're to overcome the spirits. So then you may ask, well, how can I overcome false teaching? How can I overcome the demonic influences that are reigning in our society today? Listen, I fully believe, and this is biblical, that there are demonic spirits who wish to deceive mankind. There are demonic spirits that exist who whisper in the ears of human beings to deter them from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are human beings who do not know Christ who can be possessed by demonic spirits. And de demons can actually live within people and control them. Now, I am very thankful for this. Once you've been born again, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside. You cannot be possessed by a demon. Let me say it again. You cannot be possessed by a demon if you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit, there's only room for one when he's inside of you. Now, here's the thing, though. If you're a believer in Christ, you can be oppressed 
by demonic influences. And that is when from outside, demonic influences can try to sway you, discourage you, and depress you. And that's when we have to rebuke them in the name of Jesus Christ and say, get behind me. Amen? So, so we understand that. But demonic powers are reality, and those who preach against Jesus Christ are being influenced by demonic powers, whether they know it or not. Listen, Jehovah's Witness, that whole um, religion is out of hell because what it teaches is, is that Jesus is not God, is not uppercase God, the God who created the heavens and the earth. Mormonism is out of hell. Mormonism teaches that Jesus is not the God, the creator. According to 1 John chapter 4, they are not of us. And they need to be saved. They need to embrace the truth of Scripture that Jesus is God, the one who was in the beginning, the one who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. We can test people to find out if they're of us. You know, I think one of the greatest inventions ever made is a little product called Roundup. Do y'all agree? You men probably especially. Do any of you ladies spray Roundup ever? Look, Karen, yeah, you guys, that's awesome. That's awesome. So... Roundup's great because, listen, I don't like to weed eat all the time. And I love to be able to fill my, my little sprayer up with some Roundup and just go to town on some weeds. Hannah has to get on to me sometimes because sometimes I get a little carried away. But listen, Roundup overcomes the weeds in a way that nothing else does. I mean, it's proven. It's science. That stuff goes to the root of the weed and it kills it. Now, listen, you can stand outside all day long and you can pick weeds. If, if, if you like doing that, go for it, okay? But I'm going to go to Lowe's and I'm going to buy a bottle of Roundup and I'm going to spray those darn things, okay? So it overcomes, right? And that's the same thing with Christ. When we are in this world and we're trying to test the spirits and, we're, and these spirits are trying to influence us, whether it's human beings or whether it's demonic influences or whatever it is coming against us, there's one who lives within us who helps us to overcome that opposition. So let's read in verses 4 and 5, and we're going to find who that overcomer is. Beginning in verse 4, You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And if you don't have the underline in your Bible, go ahead and underline verse 4. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them, talking about the evil spirits, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, talking about those spirits. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. Verse 4, our source of power is the one who is in us. He is our source of power. As we said before, he is the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 17, the Bible says this, talking about the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. That is a core doctrine of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is God. And that God himself indwells the believer when they come to Christ by faith in repentance of their sins. The moment that you bowed the knee and you trusted Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection in your place for the payment of your sins, and you said, Lord, I'm going to give my life to you and I'm turning from my sin. That is when, at that instantaneous moment, the Holy Spirit came inside of you. 
And did you know that once he comes inside of you, he does not leave? Once you're born again, you cannot lose your salvation. We believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We understand that nothing can pluck us from the hand of Jesus Christ. Nothing. When you're saved, you're saved. Now, the question still remains. First of all, where are the gatekeepers? Men, have you been guarding your homes? Men, have you been testing the spirits? Hey, when your kids are watching shows, do you sometimes stop and listen to see what's being said? You know, I'll admit, my kids like to watch Disney, and there's been times where both Hannah and me have had to say, all right, you can't watch that show anymore because there's, there's little remnants of Buddhism that kind of creeps into those shows. Um, sometimes you'll find a show that says, you know, I have two daddies or I have two mommies, things like that. There's even been cartoons that we've found that promotes um, homosexual lifestyles and LGBTQ stuff. We have to say no. We're not going to allow our children to be influenced by the world. We're not going to let our children be infiltrated by the enemy. We've got to protect their minds. We've got to be gatekeepers. And let's be honest, that's not popular. Because in the world's eyes, that's a bigoted idea. That, that, that's against a certain group of people. That's an aggression but listen, I'm not trying to please the world. We hear time and time again in Scripture, those who do not listen to sound teaching are of the world. And listen, I'm not going to let the world that is the spirit of the Antichrist determine how my children believe. I'm going to teach my children from the Word of God. I'm going to teach my children what Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, that human beings are made in the image of God, and God created them male and female. I'm going to teach them the principles of God's word that sin does destroy, that sin hurts, and that sin kills, and that in order to overcome sin, you must be born again, as John chapter 3 teaches, that we must be transformed by the power of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can do that in love, by the way. We can convey the truth to a lost world that is against us, that is against what we teach, that has a different understanding of what reality is. We can go out there and confront them and have a conversation with them in love. And at the end of the day, they may very well disagree with us, and that's okay. Actually, that's a good thing. Because even Jesus said, don't be surprised when the world persecutes you. He said, they persecuted me first. Don't be surprised if the world even hates you. They hated me first. Jesus set the tempo. Jesus did not go out embracing and being tolerant of all lifestyles. As a matter of fact, Jesus hit sin head on. He was able to go to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and he was able to confront her sin of, of, of five different marriages all ending in divorce, and the man that she was with at the current moment and living with was not her husband. And he was able to confront her sin in a love, in a way that she came to him, and accepted him as her savior. In a way that after she left him, after he confronted her sin and shared with her who he was, she went and led others to Christ. And then she even brought people back and they came to know him because they heard his teaching. We need to be like Jesus today. You know what Christian means? To be Christ-like, to be a Christ follower. And we need to be that today. Now listen, we live in a world where it's not as easy as it used to be to be Christ followers. It's not as easy men as it used to be to be gatekeepers. But we have to be vigilant because the enemy is on the horizon and he wants to take your children. He wants to destroy your wife. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. You ever wonder why it's so difficult sometimes for, for marriages to last? It's because Satan hates marriages. 
Because marriage is a perfect reflection of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. When Satan sees a godly marriage, you know what he keeps seeing? Jesus Christ. And he hates it. That's why he hates your marriage. You want to make Satan mad? Have a godly marriage. Love your wife. Love your husband. Love your children. And guard the gate. Keep the gate safe. Let's pray.